Hey there, everybody. Welcome to Football Outsiders Live. It's our daily live stream every weekday at 1 p.m. Eastern. want to welcome you to the show. It's me, Aaron Schatz, Editor-in-Chief of Football Outsiders, joined as always on Mondays by Ian O'Connor from Edge Sports, live streaming on YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, and Facebook. So if you are watching us, please be sure to make comments in the chat ask us questions, and if you're on YouTube or Twitch, please like and subscribe to the show. It's also available after the fact on the Football Outsiders Podcast Network. Please subscribe to the show on the Podcast Network and give five-star reviews so more people can find our shows. If you leave a review on the show, we'll even read it next time. All right, let's talk about week six in the NFL. We're actually going to start with Sunday night football, in case you didn't make it up late enough. The uh, Pittsburgh Steelers beating the Seattle Seahawks in overtime. Boy, this game started slow, but there were a lot of interesting moves in the second half. A costly Mike Tomlin error helped Seattle make it into overtime, even though they did not eventually win the game. Ian, let's talk about Mike Tomlin's errors in decision-making. Yeah, late in the fourth quarter. Uh, this is one I think you and I have probably talked about a couple times. There are similar calls throughout the season and, and throughout our time. But minute and a half left, fourth and three on the Seattle 34. They're tied at, I think it was tied at 17 at this point. Chooses to kick the field goal um, instead of going for it. So taking that temporary lead, kind of a, a moral victory for the time being. Um, it's still plenty of time, especially in the NFL, 90 seconds is a ton of time for uh, Seattle to to march down the field and tie the game or win the game. Uh, that cost them 8.7% prior to the snap, just the decision to kick the field goal instead of go for it, was our third worst call of the week. And that is um, even accounting for Geno Smith at quarterback. So as we, Scott Brown and I earlier were talking, you can only imagine how much bigger that error probably would have went if Russell Wilson would have been a quarterback. May not have been in the same situation, obviously, but, but even accounting for Geno Smith, that's still a 9% error. Um, for Mike Tomlin, and it did allow the Seahawks just enough time. They went down, tied the game, and sent it to overtime. Um, one of, I think, three overtime games yesterday. There was one in each window, uh, the 1 o'clock, 4 o'clock, and 8 o'clock that kept me pretty busy yesterday. But then when he got into overtime, there was another one. Um, I think it was their first possession right after the Seahawks punted 433 left in overtime, fourth and one on their own 29. So, this is one of those decisions that we're going to get a lot of pushback on. Um, you know, you're at your own 29. If you don't get it, your opponent's already in field goal, field goal range. Um, all they need is a field goal to win it. But if you punt the ball away, you've got no, no chance, but to, no choice but to try and stop them. It, it's one yard. It seemed Najee Harris handled the ball, it seemed like, 200 times yesterday and was able to get at least one yard on pretty much every down, every time he touched the ball, it seemed like, for the most part. So – that team will say what you want about their offensive line and their struggles for a guy and a team, an NFL team um, to get one yard is, is more often than not going to happen. So that one cost them 1% more than what that one did at the end of regulation at 9.7%. And that was our second worst call of the week. Yeah. Got bailed out on the next play as TJ Watt forced a strip sack on Geno Smith and then Pittsburgh recovered and went on to kick the game winning field goal. But um, that, that yeah, strip sack on Geno Smith was a pretty big play as far as win probability goes. Yeah, so he got, got bailed out, as we'll see with, like I said, these are the, the top two worst calls of the week. 
number one coach, worst call this week, also got bailed out. But yeah, this one, TJ Watt doing what he does. Uh, they recovered the ball, cost the Seahawks 49% in win probability, pretty much took the Steelers. I think they were probably over 90% at that point. Uh, I don't have that exact number on me right now, but they were, were up pretty high. Um, actually, I do. Sorry. It took them it took them up to 97%. So they were at the 16. So pretty much a, we never want to say guaranteed or an automatic field goal because we know how that goes, especially after last weekend. But 49%, and that was the most impactful play of the week uh, in week six so far with just one game to go. You know, that first one you talked about, you mentioned that we've talked about this situation multiple times. It came up with the Patriots against the Buccaneers a couple weeks ago. And that is when the coach plays for a long field goal with time left, there's two negatives about that, right? Tomlin decided to kick a field goal of 52 yards with a minute 35 left. There's two negatives. One, you're kicking a long field goal, and the longer the field goal, the less likely it is that it goes through. You would much rather kick a field goal in the 30s than you would 52. And the other is you're giving the other team time to come back. So like what happened in the Patriots-Buccaneers game was it was a slightly longer field goal, and it was in the rain, and Nick Folk missed it. But even if Nick Folk had hit that field goal, he gave Tom Brady time to come back. I realize here we're talking about giving Geno Smith time to come back. It's a completely right. different animal. But still, you know, the Seahawks did score some points this week. So you're trying a tough field goal at 52 at Heinz Field. And then on top of that, even if you make the field goal, you give the other team time to come back and tie, which Seattle did and sent the game to overtime. Yep, and you mentioned, um, you know, them scoring points like that from the first and you mentioned that game started slowly from the first half to the second half. Seattle looked like a completely different team showed up on a bus and they just switched out their teams and they were, you know, Gino got them right back in it. Um, Alex you know, Collins great, got them right back in it. Alex Collins, right. He, he, he handled the ball. I think he had about 30 uh, rushes on that first drive alone in the second half. It's interesting because I think it was Ben Baldwin who posted on Twitter and said, it's, you know, Seattle has a drive like this, like once every three years, and that just convinces Pete Carroll that you have to run it all the time. Mm -hmm. But I actually was listening to this game. I was not watching it. I was listening to it on the radio in the car on the way home from the game we're going to discuss next, which is Dallas, New England. And I was listening to the Seattle broadcast over satellite radio. And at halftime, they were like, you know, Alex Collins has five yards of carry. Like, let's, it's a small sample size. They actually used the words sample size. So credit to the guys who do the halftime show for Seattle radio. Uh, but they said, we might as well see if we can get more out of him. And uh, then they went out on the first drive of the third quarter and Alex Collins had like a, a zillion yards. So I think it's probably more proper to say Alex Collins got them back in the game. Yep. Than what Smith did. Yeah. And Collinsworth and Michaels, I think both said the same thing you did about Pete Carroll. Like, Oh, that. He loves these kind of drives that really gets them going and this and that run the ball. And, but both teams, it seemed like Pittsburgh did the same thing with Najee Harris. You know, I, I had Deontay Johnson for fantasy, so I'm wanting to see some throws. And it seemed like every single time they go Najee on first down, Najee on second down, sometimes Najee on third down, it was kind of back and forth, both teams just seeing who could run the ball better. And that's how they were both deciding they were going to win the game. But I, I will say one of the hardest things about my job is figuring out how much to dock teams 
when they bring in backup quarterbacks. It's it's very tough. There's like a kind of a and it's not necessarily a science as much as it is an art because figuring out what the drop is, you know, the drop from a regular starter to a backup is different than the drop from Russell Wilson to a backup. I may have underestimated it because Seattle's offensive DVOA was 23% in weeks one to five, minus 17% in this game. So that's a big hit from Geno Smith. Yeah, they, like you said, it was, you know, you say that it was Alex Collins, you know, was the best. Geno did, we kind of talked about this morning too, the offense as a whole did did just enough to kind of keep them in it, but still not the same as with Russell Wilson there. So they'll hope to to have them back pretty soon. They've got a couple games, I think, coming up against, you know, fairly or below average. I think it's the Saints and the Jaguars, so they may be able to get by with with one or two wins. Not against the Saints. Saints are top 10 DVOA team with an excellent defense. Uh, Let's talk about the other big national game yesterday that was on at the 430 slot, and that is the Patriots and the Cowboys. Uh, Patriots almost stole one from a better team. Uh, but it's interesting, DVOA, if you look at this one without opponent adjustments, like with opponent adjustments, the Patriots had the better game, you know, because you stronger opponent adjustments for playing the Cowboys. But the, the best way to really compare how teams play in a game is without opponent adjustments, and it was basically equal. Four, minus 4.8% DVOA for the or, or VOA, no, no defense adjustments. Minus 4.8% for the Patriots, minus 5.4% for the Cowboys. So basically exactly the same. Another back-and-forth game that needed overtime to decide. Uh, Mike McCarthy, McCarthy gets, a lot of gu- uh, gets a lot of guff on the Internet <clears throat> for mistakes he makes and bad, you know things that he does. And he did have some good calls and some bad calls in this game. Yeah, he had some some really good calls in the first half, we'll say, uh, because that's kind of the way it went. Like you said, he gets a lot of criticism, but he does a lot better than what people give him credit for. Uh, he'll go for it. You know, he's aggressive, and people say he's being too aggressive or making, you know, stupid decisions, and it's McCarthy, so they kind of criticize him a little bit more, I feel like. But he fairly, he does fairly well in our, in our coach rankings, which we'll have coming out here in a few weeks, um, I believe, as well. So we'll see. But, yeah, first half. Um, he had the fifth best call of the week and the fourth best call of the week. That that fifth one was first quarter. This was at, towards the end of the first quarter. Had fourth and one on their own 47, chose to go for it. This is kind of a, a no-brainer these days. You're near in midfield. A team like Dallas uh, should go for it. Kansas City did the same thing on their opening drive yesterday. A um, little bit more time left in the first quarter. Obviously, theirs was around 11. But same thing, powerful offenses. This one added 4.5% win probability prior to the snap there. Uh, Ezekiel Elliott was able to get three yards, get out to the 50, um, added about, I think, two, two and a half percent win probability. And for, for those of you that listen that may think that's not a lot, it, it's because when we've explained this on some of our other podcasts and other shows that with a team like Dallas on a fourth and one, they're expected to convert that fairly or very often um, so that it's baked into that pre, pre-snap pre win probability. So your gain's not going to be that high you know, unless you have a big run, but, but they were able to convert that one. The one that's not going to show up in our top five that I do want to mention is the one on the very first drive. They had fourth and one at their own 34. Pretty much yes. got hammered for going for it because they didn't get it. So, oh, it's early in the game. You're a favorite. You don't need to give them opportunities to score. You know, they didn't get it. New England went down to score. But at the same time, it's early in the game. You're the better team. You're the favorite. You should be able to overcome that You know, if you don't. If you don't get it, but uh, odds are you're going to get it. And that was a 2.9%. I think it came out about a half percent shy of being in our top five. But again, 
with an offense like that, going for it is the right call. McCarthy did make the, by our numbers, made the correct decision on that one. And then coming down, the fourth best call of the week I mentioned was, was that late in the second quarter, a minute and a half left. They had fourth and goal on the one. This was right after uh, Dak Prescott. It looked like he scored. They didn't. Didn't call him in. A lot of disagreement on the Twitter about whether uh, Dak Prescott really scored on that third and one. Yeah. I mean, you couldn't really, you could see the ball. I thought he scored, but even on the replays, it kind of looked like the ball was back by his hip, um, and it may not have crossed. uh, But that one was was closer than what happened on the next one. You know, the decision itself was a great great call to go for it. Again, fourth and one, especially on fourth and goal at the one, unless you're coming down, you know, the last seconds of the first half or something. We're typically going to recommend go for it. There are some times even then we'll we'll recommend the field goal just to get those points, especially if you get the ball back in the second half. But this one added 4.8%, like I said, was the fourth best call of the week. As we know, that's the one that was called a touchdown and was reviewed because it was a score and, and saw that Prescott had the ball knocked loose just before crossing the goal line on that Drew Brees jump sneak, whatever you want to want to call that. So that was the first week or first half, like we said, is kind of a tale of two halves for him then. The next one he had when it really mattered, he failed the test. Um, fourth quarter, 247 left, fourth and two on the New England, 33. Uh, they were down 21-20 at this point. He chooses to kick the field goal. Um, very similar to that situation we talked about uh, with the, the Steelers and Seahawks, except yeah, even more time. Going for a, a long field goal while you give the other time team time to come back rather than trying to convert and take time off the clock and get the field goal shorter. Yep, and in this situation, there's even more time left. Dallas still has all three timeouts, so even if they go for it, don't get it. They've got the two-minute warning and three timeouts to stop New England and get the ball back. It's only a one-point game. Um, not great field position for them. Instead, they kicks the field goal and missed it, so ended up giving them even better field position than had they gone for it and not not converted. Obviously, that's not something you know we don't play the results, but just something that that you you do want to note after the fact. But the decision. Not to go for it cost him 12.8%, um, which was the largest or worst call of the week uh, as far as fourth down fourth down decisions go. And again, like we said, bailed out by the defense. Trayvon Diggs, who's had a phenomenal start to this season, has as a defensive player, has more touchdowns than his brother Stefan Diggs uh, through six, you know, six games for Dallas, five games for Buffalo. I, I was shocked. I was shocked that the Patriots threw the ball there, which I thought, I mean, I was glad that they were aggressive, but I was shocked, shocked that they threw at Diggs in that situation, mm-hmm. knowing that he, how good he is at taking the ball and turning it back the other way. But then they responded with a touchdown of their own right afterwards that, that was also thrown at Diggs and yeah. went for 75 yards and a touchdown. So those had to be gi- gigantic win probability plays. They were, yeah. The, the Trayvon Diggs pick six um, right after the missed field goal, two and a half. I think it was two plays later. There was a, a penalty. I think that sent up the second and 15 uh, was 47.3% win probability swing for both teams. Um, obviously lost by the Patriots, gained by the Cowboys. The second most impactful play of the weekend by our numbers. And that took Dallas from 20.1% up to 67.4. So from winning one out of five to winning two out of three. Uh, is a huge swing there. And then uh, the touchdown of their own was 24.6% win probability, which I think came, it was just outside our top five. I think it was six or seven. I believe it was six. And then the fourth and four conversion by Dallas um, at the end of regulation or overtime. I don't remember which one. I think it was the end of regulation um, was number seven. So three of the top seven most impactful plays came from this game. Um, And then as we know, overtime, Dak hit CeeDee Lamb for the win. 
Um, got injured. Hopefully we'll see how Dak says he's going to be okay. But I didn't even see that happen until I think it was later last night. They were saying he had come up with an injury. But just an yeah. awesome game, a thrilling finish up there in Foxborough. It was a, a great game you got to see yet again. It seems like you get you get all the good ones here. Well, yeah. I mean, I would prefer the good close ones if my team won them. But <laughs> absolutely, uh, hugely important plays. Uh, on that last Dallas drive, like you said, converting fourth and four from their own 35. Uh, and then they got the 24 yards on third and 25 from their own 45 after an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty, a weird sort of never really explained unsportsmanlike conduct penalty on an offensive lineman got knocked them back from field goal range back to their own 45. They then got into better field goal range with the 24 yard completion and kick the field goal to send it to overtime. I I thought Belichick was very conservative in this game. A couple of things that stand out to me. The first is one we don't normally talk about very much, and that is a decision to run out clock at the end of a half. The Patriots got the ball back on their own 20 with a minute and 30 left in the second quarter. Now, they had no timeouts, but still, you can at least run a couple of plays and see if you can get some yards with a couple of passes before you, like, kneel on the ball. Like, I, I would choose to be aggressive there, especially because you are the underdog and you need to use underdog strategies. And instead, Belichick just had a run go for six yards and then kneeled on the ball and just took it into half, into the half. Yeah, I think, too, what I've noticed, I don't know if this, you know, if it adds up, you know, just from games that I noticed, it seems – if a team, if, if a coach knows they're getting the ball in the second half, they're way more likely to just kneel on it with, you know, 30 seconds, whatever it is, when you have a chance, like you but said. You have a chance to score twice. Yeah. yeah. The other is Belichick's decision to punt on fourth and three in overtime from his own 46. Now, I was critical of this during the game. My feeling was the Cowboys offense is so strong. You know, the Cowboys had more yards yesterday than any team has ever had against the Patriots with Belichick as head coach. Oh, wow. uh, my it seemed like was, they were dominating, and that game was just – the score didn't seem to reflect what what we were what I was watching. Yeah, I was surprised that the DVOA came out close, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Like, I expected the Dallas to come out much higher. Do those turnovers um, have a big effect there, or is that yeah, not, not the as – the turnovers definitely the biggest do. part. You know, the turnovers definitely have an effect. Especially in the um, end zone, I imagine that that is a bigger effect. Yeah, because both of them were in the end zone. Yep. And um, the fact that Belichick punted there turns out to not be a huge error, I guess. Yeah, I was actually just as surprised as you were. It comes out to only a one point one percent error, and it is. This is going to take a little bit of explanation, but it's what we have errors that we call high confidence, and, and I guess just regular errors. Um, for lack of better terms for those. But the, this one was not a high confidence. And what a high confidence is, is so we've got, you know, our customizations. We utilize DBOA um, to come up with these team customizations and run them through the model at any point in the game to get these win probability numbers. And the high confidence is it, we look at on every play, we run it with the customizations, but then what we do is our model runs each play as if the team on offense has the worst offense and defense in the league the team on defense has the best. So you're the worst team going against the best. And if it still says you should go for it, typically it's a smaller margin uh, for obvious reasons. But if it still says you should go for it, that's a high confidence error. In this case, it actually was not high confidence. And as, as I said, it was only 1.1, which surprised me as well. I figured a lot, especially in overtime, um, possession is just so important, especially when you get um, 
for New England, like you said, if you don't get it or if you if you punt Dallas or if you punt Dallas just needs a field goal to win. Whereas if you go for it, at least you give yourself a chance. You're up near midfield, you know, 25 yards isn't that big of a difference for that Dallas offense. Um, and in that situation, you said you're an underdog, like just very, it seemed conservative play calling, as you said, from, from Bill Belichick. But yeah, that one turned out to be not as big as you would think. I know some other models had them. They were kind of all over the place. Um, I think. Yeah, yes, had, had, had as a good as the right decision. Yep. Yeah. So interesting to see on that. Yeah, we had it um, almost a toss up. Yeah, 1%. We still did like to go for it. Um, but a very small margin on that compared to what you would think in some of the other decisions. All right. Thanks. Uh, let's hit those uh, most impactful plays. Let's hit the most impactful plays of the weekend. Thanks to everybody who's watching us right now, live stream. Don't forget every weekday, 1 p.m. Eastern. Uh, let's talk about the top five most impactful plays of week six. We even have a little graphic. Uh, the first one's a little weird, I think. Yeah. Number So number five. Jaguars, Dolphins, they're tied at 20. It's in overtime, the, the early morning game over in London. Fourth and eight at the Miami 44. The Jaguars have the ball. So just across midfield, this was right after Miami went for it on fourth and one and did not get it. Um, we'll get to that decision when we get to our best and worst decisions there to, to let you know if that was the right call or not. But this one was where I know Scott Brown and I were, we did our podcast earlier, and he was saying, first off, before this play, I think he said the last play finished with like 10 seconds left. Jacksonville waited till five seconds to take their timeout, then decided to go for it. So they've got five seconds. They need eight yards to get a first down. I guess maybe their thinking was we get the first down, uh, we get nine yards, you know, we've got a chance to go out of bounds or call a timeout, or we don't get it, time runs out, we go to overtime. But they converted. They got nine yards on the play to LaVisca Chenault. Uh, we're able to, to call a timeout with one second left, I think it was. And this increased their win probability about 25%. Um, as far as the decision goes to go for it here, we actually had this, and this is something we talked about earlier too. This is kind of when it comes to those end of game models, the just the assumptions you have to make and things, the amount of time left, you know, the model says, you know, on a fourth and eight, especially you're going to convert that. Maybe I think it are the numbers I had earlier around 35% of the time. Um, Scott had mentioned, you know, a 62-yard field goal, especially for I think it's a rookie kicker. Uh, mentioned him yeah. cut by another team, a 62-yard. He goes, maybe you're going to give him a five percent chance of making that. So your odds of of converting aren't high, but it's better than kicking that field goal. So why not take a chance to to try and get that first down, get that? Yeah, and the assumptions are a little weird there because the defense is going to play hail mary. Mm -hmm. They're not going to expect that you can make a short pass and get out of bounds in time. Yeah. Nearly so it probably yards. is easier. It probably is. You're probably more likely to convert the fourth and eight than you would be otherwise. Yeah, absolutely. And that, on the flip side, if you don't get it and there is a second left, you're leaving my either no time left on the clock. I say if there's a second left, Miami has the same the Hail Mary, you know, chance from 56 yards, which unless you're Aaron Rodgers or we saw Baker Mayfield do it yesterday. But chances of converting that are probably even less than maybe even less than a 62 yard field goal. I don't know what the kind of some assumptions there like you said, but if not, you know, very, very low probability. So, but the conversion said they got nine yards, called the timeout, were able to kick the field goal, was a 25% increase in win probability. The number four comes down to a, another kick. Minnesota is always in these these games, it seems like, this year. and Tied at 28 after the Panthers made their comeback. Six seconds left, they send uh, Greg Joseph out to kick the field goal to win the game. He does not make it, 47-yarder, 
fairly high probability uh, or relatively good good chance to make that for an NFL kicker. He misses it, and that costs um, Minnesota 36.7%. So the reason this one isn't much higher, too, um, is because they've still got overtime to fall back on. If this right. had been, you know, Vikings down one or two, that's going to be probably an 80-something percent. Uh, and your favorite, so their chance of winning in overtime is greater than 50%. Right. Yep, so that ends up just being 36.7, but still good enough for fourth uh, this week. Number three, back to Dolphins-Jaguars. Um, again, this is the result of that other fourth down play. We'll get to the decision on that, but Brian Flores chose to go for it fourth and one at their own 46 in overtime, or uh, into regulation, sorry, with a minute 49 left. Did not convert. They were stopped, so... They lost 38.3%. Again, the, the possibility of overtime there is the big the big factor there that that's not a much larger number. Still good enough for number three. And then the top two we covered uh, in, in the top of the show just minutes ago, um, the pick six by Trayvon Diggs was 47.3%. And then the, the Geno Smith where he gets sacked, fumbles recovered by Pittsburgh was 49% coming in at number one in our most impactful. All right. Don't forget, folks, again, if you are listening to this as a podcast afterwards, subscribe to the show, rate us five stars. Please leave us a review. Uh, please make sure you subscribe if you're watching on YouTube. Feel free to add comments or questions on the show. Uh, let's talk about the decisions that coaches made that had the most positive impact in terms of win probability. These are the best coaching decisions of the week on fourth downs. And I believe we've got a graphic for this, too. And we covered the first couple already in the show because they're Mike McCarthy. Yep, Mike McCarthy, four and five. Uh, the fifth one was that fourth and one near midfield was a four and a half percent increase prior to the snap. The next one was that fourth and goal at the one uh, was a four point eight percent. So a couple really good calls. And I mentioned the one in the, the opening drive of the game was around three percent, two point nine Um so over 10%, 11% on three plays, but it was the one we'll get to later. He didn't make, that was the biggest. But coming in at number three, I mentioned this, the Chiefs, Andy Reid, uh, opening, don't remember if it was the opening drive or the Kansas City's drive if Washington punted. I think Washington got the ball first, but they uh, driving down, get stalled fourth and one at the Kansas City 47, almost identical to Dallas. Choose to go for it, which absolutely makes sense with that offense against that Washington defense that, has not been anything that it was last year, what we, we thought it would be. Expect some some regression on defense, as I know we you've talked about a lot, Aaron. It's a lot harder to repeat a defensive performance, but they've just been a lot no, worse. No, than yeah, regression means you become average. It, regression does not mean that you suck. Right. Regression means you go to average. Yeah, and one note I did see um, on that, uh, regarding that defense, kind of a side note, I remember I saw it was the fact that Washington, you know, I know we – we in football outsiders adjust for defense, but you know, we're last place the year before, I think, and played a lot of maybe backup quarterbacks below average teams. Yeah. This year they're facing number ones because of where they finished in the division, but still they've they've been terrible. So you would expect the Chiefs to go for that. Andy Reid knows that, and they uh, picked up 5.2% win probability just on the decision to go for it and then got another 3% um, on the conversion. Uh, Daryl Williams picked up five yards there to get the first down. Heading up number two, coming back to uh, Jaguars and Dolphins. They were all over the place in the uh, the impactful plays. This one was um, Urban Meyer. This one was early in the fourth quarter. So one that isn't really talked about as much uh, based on those two that came at the end of the game. But fourth and one at the Miami nine 
leading by four already. So this is one I was kind of surprised to see him go for it. It was the correct decision by our numbers. Increased their win probability by six and a half percent versus a field goal. The reason I'm kind of surprised there is, you know, Urban Meyer still go, you know, Jacksonville still looking for their first win. They've got a four point lead. You probably see a lot of coaches kick it there and go for that seven point lead, you know, make yeah. them score a touchdown extra point. Still a lot of time left, but I was very surprised to see him uh, make that call. Really any coach or many coach in that situation, you know, not, that's not really a knock on Urban, just in general, it seems like consensus is you take those three points that are very, very high probability at that. No, point. we save our knocks on Urban for the Wednesday and Thursday shows with Mike Daniel. <laughs> I believe it. <laughs> so yeah, that one was comes in at number two. Uh, good call there for him. And then number one is the one we mentioned as well in the impactful plays. We looked at the result. Now we're going to look at the decision. So Dolphins, Jaguars, 2020, uh, fourth and one at their own 46. Miami chooses to go for it, does not get it. But you still, you know, you, like we said, you've got overtime to fall back on. But if you convert here, you're up near midfield or pro close to midfield. You still have the ball. Um, the most important thing, especially in a tie game there. They only got one timeout left. Jacksonville has three, so they can still – um, stop you and get a chance to get the ball back again. Um, but going for it and keeping the ball in your team's hands makes the most sense. Um, and that's exactly what they did. And unfortunately, it didn't work out for them. But hopefully that does not discourage Brian Flores from making uh, the right calls going forward. And then said so that was number one. Um, that was a 20.6 or 21.6% increase in pre-snap win probability. When we get to the worst decisions, we'll see um, see him again on that list as well. Uh, don't forget to comment on the live stream, like, and subscribe our channels on YouTube and Twitch. We want to hear from you during the show every weekday, 1 p.m. Eastern. We'll flip it around now and talk about the worst decisions of the week for fourth downs. These are your punt decisions. I mean, almost always. Anyway. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, so number five was the Vikings and Panthers. Uh, second quarter coming down into the half, fourth and one on the Minnesota 34. Vikings have the ball. One of those that, you know, people are always going to disagree with. You're in your own territory. A lot of time left in this game though, or in this game. Um, you've got Dalvin Cook. They gave him a pretty heavy workload. He looked looked healthy yesterday, had I think 120-something, 130 rushing yards, um, scored a touchdown. And just, again, it just comes back to that one yard is all you need. Um and with this one, too, we kind of talk about, you know, Minnesota still has all three of their timeouts at this point. There's 3.11 left in the half. If you don't get it, Carolina, the yes, they're in field goal range, long field goal range at that point. But that drive is going to come to an end to come to a conclusion much quicker, especially when you've got your three timeouts, a two-minute warning. There's a good chance Minnesota's going to get the ball back in that half um, and get a chance to score again. So, Choosing to punt there cost them 3.6%. Not one of Zimmer's worst decisions, but like we saw a few weeks ago, he's had some really bad, bad games. Bad yeah, he's decisions. pretty conservative on that decision. Yeah, and I feel like there was the game, um, you know, even after this game last year, the Seattle game, he had a fourth and one down inside the 10, had a chance to kick a field goal to make it, I think, an eight-point game. They didn't get it. Russell Wilson went down and ended up scoring to win the game. Ever since then, he's had a couple good decisions, but – even before, even before that, he was conservative, but he made that, you know, that one decision and just got hammered for it. And it seems like he's reverted back or just still kind of stayed conservative. Um, you know, I wonder if that kind of is in his head. I'm sure, you know, with some of those coaches, they think about that. But then that kind of comes into our number four, as I mentioned, 
Brian Flores of the Dolphins, he went for it late in the game, about five minutes earlier in that game. He had fourth and one at his own 46, exact same situation, except he was leading by three at that point, chose to punt, and that's when Jacksonville went down, ended up tying the game. But this one, you know, he he learned from it and ended up going for it, but it might not have been in that situation if he would have gone for it from the first place on this this possession uh, five minutes earlier. So that was a 4% error for that one earlier in the fourth quarter. Going to number three, we've got the Steelers and Seahawks. Um, I think this is one that we mentioned. These top three, we mentioned all of these already. Yep. So I'll just kind of briefly run through these. It was the fourth and uh, sorry, fourth and three at the Seattle 34. Tomlin chose the, to kick the field goal to take the three-point lead for the time being. 8.7% uh, uh, decrease in win probability. And then tied at 20 in overtime, fourth and one at his own 29. Chooses to, to punt uh, with four and a half minutes left in overtime. That was 9.7%. And then Mike McCarthy with the number one overall error this week after having such a good game before that as far as fourth downs go. Trailing by one, kicks the field goal with 247 left to try and take a a temporary lead there for the time being. That was 12.8%. Yep. All right. Uh, remind everybody, I want to remind everybody, you can find all of this stuff at edgesports.com in their top five editorial section. And you want to read the risky business column, which you'll find on both Edge Sports and Football Outsiders, about going for two down 14. It's a classic football analytics problem that's basically already been solved. So we're explaining it to those of you who still don't understand. The idea of going for two uh, when you score down by 14 to make it eight, while you go for two there rather than going for one. Let's preview Monday night football before we're done with the show. Uh, this is the number one Bills defense, one of the best defenses we've ever tracked through five games against the seemingly unstoppable Derrick Henry, although I will admit by uh, DVOA. Um, yes, Joey Suck says, I did not expect Edge to be spelled that way. For those listening, it's edjsports.com. Uh, Henry's having an actually more of an average year as far as efficiency goes. It's not as, you know, his total numbers are a lot more impressive than his efficiency numbers. Uh, Bills currently, last time I checked, were minus six and a half. Uh, I will tell you, I think that Edge Sports and Football Outsiders are in disagreement about this pick. Yeah, so this is, uh, I'll go ahead and give the Edge side first. So we've got uh, Tennessee as only three-point underdogs in this one versus you mentioned six. I've seen it six, seven. I think six and a half is the last that I saw as well. So we've got it a little bit more in favor of Tennessee, which surprises me a little bit. So based on that, you know, looking at six and a half, we've got it around 60 to 61% chance that Tennessee covers tonight at six and a half. When it comes to the over-under, the total there, we're way under on this one too. So 53 and a half is the last I saw in the market we've got this at 82 83 percent chance to stay under um looking at the the public uh 83 of the bets 92 percent of the money are on tennessee and on our our podcast we did that it was scott brown earlier i said i you know not most of the time you know our, our numbers are good i trust our model not i trust our model our numbers saying football tires and i trust all these numbers this is one though that i would and we'll probably take Buffalo and the over um, in this game. Just from a personal, you know, what, what I've seen, I think 
I know Tennessee has, I think it, two years ago was just an ultra efficient offense. Last year, there was no, said there's no way they're going to, going to repeat it. They did. And this year, you know, they've had some injuries. Tannehill hasn't looked very good. AJ Brown's been hurt. Um, I think Julio Jones is back. AJ Brown was supposed to be back. Uh, he popped up with an illness yesterday. I think I haven't heard anything. He's going to play. Um, I expect them or kind of, and just kind of have a hunch that they're, they're going to kind of, they're going to score some points um, even if it is garbage time. Uh, but like the bills to put up a ton of points and the Titans to put up enough to, to go over that 53 and a half. In my opinion, like I said, our numbers at edge, D- disagree heavy on the under and heavy on pretty heavy it's on Tennessee because cover. I disagree. The edge formula that comes up with picks against the spread is based on DVOA and Dave. And so is my football outsiders formula. Yet we come up with different results. I come up with that Buffalo, I would pick Buffalo minus six and a half, not Tennessee would, plus six and a half. I would too. Um, I, uh, part of it, I think, is home field advantage. I don't know if the edge sports formula has made any adjustment yet for the fact that home field advantage seems to be completely gone. Yeah, that's um, something that I know we've talked about, and I've I've brought that up a couple of times thinking because that it seems like it's always the the home teams that are underdogs we have favored a little bit better, and I think there is some some home field advantage still on there. So I know Scott's working on on looking at some of that too. Yeah, like you said, and we've mentioned a couple of times on here that that doesn't really seem to be as much of a thing anymore. I will uh, note that Tennessee's passing game is down to 24th in DVOA this year. Their running game is eighth, but their passing game is 24th. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have always had troubles on third downs compared to first and second. And they're again this year having the same problem. Tennessee's offense by down 11th on first down, 20th on second, and 26th on third. Third down is usually not as consistent as first and second, but for Tennessee over the last couple of years, it's actually been very consistent that they struggle on third down compared to first and second. Um, who we saw the, the Chargers kind of come down too. I know you were kind of – Oh, yeah. We absolutely. Never seeing that. And they, they came crashing down yesterday. <laughs> uh, we have a question actually from Black Tepes asking who he should play in fantasy. He's down 93 to 97, Emmanuel Sanders or Dawson Knox. Well, we have Emmanuel Sanders very, very slightly ahead of Dawson Knox in Scott Spratt's fantasy projections, but he's ahead by 0.3 projected fantasy points. So it's actually really a flip of the coin. Yeah. I I guess guess I would go with Sanders – because the Titans have been weak against second wideouts and third wideouts this year, and they've been weak against deep passes, and that seems like the kind of pass that they would throw to Sanders. So if I had to make a choice between Sanders or Knox, I would go with Sanders, but the projections have it as a coin flip. See, I don't like to hear that because I'm uh, I'm in a very similar situation. I'm down seven in my friends league. I've got Dawson Knox. He's got Emmanuel Sanders. So me and Black Tepes are – are very similar situations. So I'm hoping Dawson Knox has another 20 point game in him and, and uh, maybe he and just Stefan Diggs can catch all the, catch all the passes, get all the yards, but yeah, I don't we'll know. See. Flip, flip it a coin, yep. but hopefully you'll get your four point. Either way, we expect you to get your four points. So um, should score a lot of points. So, so Sanders or Knox, either way, we think you're going to win your game. So that's good. Yep. Uh, thank you to our entire audience, including Black Tepes. Uh, 
for watching the show live. Again, uh, we're streaming on YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, and Facebook, and in the upper right corner of footballoutsiders.com now, every day at 1 p.m. Eastern. Uh, don't forget tomorrow, it'll be Scott Spratt and Derek Klassen getting you ready for your waiver wire decisions and for your fantasy week seven. Everything is available after the fact on the Football Outsiders podcast network. So please give a review to help people find the show. We'll, leave, uh, we'll read your review on the air. Subscribe to the show on your favorite platform. And don't forget to subscribe to FO Plus to get access to all of our data and tools for under $5 a month. For example, you can find out the fact that the Titans are strong against number one wide receivers and weak against number two and number three wide receivers if you look at FO+. So go to footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe to get FO Plus today. That does it for our Monday show. Thank you, Ian O'Connor, for joining me as always on Mondays. Everybody enjoy Buffalo and Tennessee tonight. Scott will be here tomorrow at 1, and I will see you on Wednesday at 1 p.m. Take care. See you next week.